Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Oncology Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Quill. Today's episode features answers from a panel of international lung cancer experts to clinician questions about the management of MET-exon 14 mutation-positive advanced non-small cell lung cancer. This episode is part of a larger educational program titled MET Inhibition in Advanced Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, Molecular Testing for MET-exon 14 and Emerging Options. During this podcast, Dr. Luis Paz Erez from University Hospital Doce de Octubre in Madrid, Dr. Ross Kamage from the University of Colorado Cancer Center in Aurora, and Dr. Karen Reckamp from Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles who answer questions asked by the audience during a live CCO webinar on topics including testing for MET-exon 14 skipping mutations and optimal sequencing of immune checkpoint inhibitor-based therapy with MET inhibitor-based therapy in the setting of MET-exon 14 positive disease. For more information on the experts, along with a link to the complete program, please visit the show notes for this episode. Now let's get started and hear what the experts have to say. So thank you very much and welcome you all. I'm really happy to host you today in this uh, Saturday symposium on MET inhibition in advanced nosebles cell and cancer, molecular testing for exome 14 mutation and emerging options. And uh, we're having two excellent speakers here today. Uh, Professor Reckon and Professor Kamich. And I think uh, we are having some of the questions here. Uh, the first question is about uh, EFR testing is a uh, standard of care for non-small cell lung cancer uh, due to the group prognosis. Will MET test be following as well, given the numerous targeted therapy that is coming soon? So uh, I don't know if maybe any of you, Ross, or uh, uh, um, Dr. Reckon, like to take it? Sure. Um, so I think there are now, at least in the USA, seven different molecularly specific subtypes of non-small cell lung cancer, excluding PDL1, and that would be EGFR, ALK, ROS, BRAF, NTRAP, NET, and now RET. And I, I think one of the things we have to learn about it, being a practitioner, is not just assuming that our testing panel automatically includes all of these. So we are, we are the purchasers of these panels and we have to go to them and say, look, if you don't have these seven things in there, you're not the panel for me. So we have to become a lot more discerning. So absolutely, it needs to be in there. So there is here um, a question maybe that uh, Karen, uh, you may uh, take it if you like, which is related to you have a patient with multiple positive driver mutations, MET, RET, ROS1, etc. Uh, which one would you prioritize the treatment? Do you think that will happen? <laughs> Many of them? I, I think that's incredibly unlikely in a patient with de novo disease. Um, potentially, we start to see that when patients have received multiple TKIs, and then it does become hard to determine which um, to chase after. I have a patient right now with a new ALK fusion um, post-EGFR-TKI therapy, and the question is whether this is actually going to be clinically relevant. 
Um, and sometimes we find they are, and sometimes we find that they are not. But I think as a de novo patient who has not received um, TKI therapy is unlikely to, say, to see multiple um, true drivers um, there from the beginning. Of course, I agree with you. So the first question is uh, um, about immunotherapy in med exome for tea mutation cases. I mean, uh, there are some discordant data into the literature. The PDL1 expression, it looks like it's higher than in the overall population, but TMB is typically lower than in the overall population of non-small cell cancer patients. Then you have this amplification of NDM2. So how do you take it? I suppose that you have seen responses and patients that didn't respond at all. What is, what is your take in? Is that any, let's say, uh, predictor for response or for no response? How do you take it? I'll, I'll start with, um, I mean, I think we do see there's there's some heterogeneity in MedExon 14. And again, I, smoking status may have more of a predictive value um, than specifically MedExon 14. Um, is response rates are similar to what we see in the general population, but not spectacular, not as low as what we see in the uh, uh, EGFR and ALK population. And so um, I think what we know is that this is pretty heterogeneous and um, we need more information, but I don't think you should exclude a patient from IO therapy because of a MET um, alteration at this point. Uh, yeah. well, so this is not the case uh, as in other driver alterations that's really the, the probability of response to immunotherapy is really low. Still, you see some patients that uh, do have very, um, I mean, they, they do have a rapid progression, even some hyper-progression cases. I mean, I just remember a couple of them in our clinic. And uh, I was wondering if that could be related to this uh, high percentage of patients having MDM2 uh, amplification as well. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, certainly my, my experience has been, you know, if, if your med exon 14 patient is a never smoker, and I don't care what the PDL1 is, my worry is if you see a PDL1 of 90%, you, you're lulled into thinking you should give them immunotherapy. And, uh, you know, my experience has been disastrous in that. Uh, I hadn't thought about whether it was hyperprogression, but they certainly did rather badly. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's uh, at least my experience. On the other hand, as you mentioned, we have some very nice responses, and the response rate is very much what you expect in the overall population overall, I would say. So another question I got here is, um, what is the uh, effect of, uh, uh, can we correlate the effect of MET inhibitors with an immune response? I don't know who like to get that one. I think, as you had mentioned, uh, Luis, that uh, there's very conflicting data regarding patients with MET exon 14 and MET alterations and uh, immune uh, checkpoint inhibitor response. And so I think the, the verdict is still out there. And um, now, hopefully, we have just more options for these patients that they could get a MET inhibitor and potentially down the line um, an immunotherapy. Um, I think. The, the thing that we've seen, and it may be true across TKIs, is that 
um, patients who receive immunotherapy first and then immediately go to a TKI may experience more toxicity or kind of a rebound toxicity from inflammation. And um, so I'm, I'm more in favor of giving the TKI first um, and then immunotherapy um, as a, a, a treatment later on. So a, um, there's here an, a, a, a question. Parallel versus sequential testing, DNA, NGS, and then uh, RNA, or should we do everything all together? How, so how do you typically do? I'm telling, I'm telling you, we typically do first uh, DNA. We tend to, we, we tend to actually uh, get RNA and DNA at the same time, but we are running first the DNA and GS testing. This is mainly because of reimbursement uh, uh, issues, and uh, but uh, we tend to we tend to do DNA first. So, what is your what is your typical practice? So, I would say we have. Um you know, the kind of the university academic practice, and then there's the kind of the community practice, which can vary. Um, we do a RNA-based um, sequencing first um, up front, and we, we still do um, the quick PCR and FISH um, to get an answer quickly for uh, clinical care for our patients. Um, but that's kind of the maximum. Um, we also often do uh, liquid biopsy as we're trying to maximize the information and uh, but I think that uh, insurance won't always pay for these things and yeah. so we still see a large number of panels that don't necessarily include everything I think now that uh, we have seven targeted drugs for alterations or seven categories um, of alterations you really need to think about how to best use the tissue and get those answers as quickly as possible so I think um, doing the single genes um, needs to go away, um, but it's going to take some time and education and education of the payers too. Yeah, I, I mean, one of, I, I was in a conversation with possible guy the other day and, you know, one of the things he pointed out, which I thought was, was, was very clever was, yes, you know, if we're treating a population from a health economic perspective, sending everything off, you know, with overlapping DNA and RNA and liquid, is, is not the most cost efficient way. And yet the cost of the diagnostic test compared to a cycle of a completely ineffective therapy, you know, I gave you the example of catmatinib at $25,000, uh, you know, pembrolizumab is also, you know, significantly more than $10,000. It pales into insignificance compared to the cost of the drug. Yeah, I, I fully agree. The, the issue is that uh, I suppose that you have to delineate the basic strategy based on your economic context and your reimbursement policies, I suppose. That would be the, the right way to go. Okay. So there is here a question about, uh, given the current databases, do we expect tipotinib uh, and capmatinib to be available in Europe? Is it possible that even requires a phase three data uh, uh, and is even a phase three trial even possible for C for met uh, uh, mutation on small cell lung cancer? So I don't know the I mean I don't know the, the exact answer. The truth is that uh, there were some uh, uh, situations such as BRAF mutation that um, non-small cell lung cancer that was 
actually approve uh, treatment, specific targeted treatments such as Drava, Trinib uh, plus Tremetinib was actually approved uh, for that indication based on phase two data. Phase three trial were not required. So my expectation, but this is just an opinion, is based on the level of activity, tepotinib, acamatinib can be approved by the EMA. The issue is actually going to be at the country level in terms of reimbursement, and that is going to vary very much between the countries in Europe. So I suppose it's not going to be the same in UK as compared to Germany, or let's say in uh, in uh, in Switzerland as compared to uh, what happened in Spain. So I think it's going to be some variation there. So, okay, so I think uh, we got very much most of the questions uh, addressed. So I just uh, really would ask you, Ross and Karen, any final comment you really like to throw? Well, I, I think MedX114 has sort of now joined the podium of uh, testable and actionable driver oncogenes. I do think we're at the beginning of the discovery process in terms of how do we best define these patients and how best manage them, but that's an exciting time. And I agree. I think this has been, as Ross has mentioned, we have seven new approvals in the month of May and um, having a, a new target in MET um, that uh, we can offer patients specific treatment to their tumor um, is very good for them. And uh, it just, it helps our patients do better, live longer with uh, more productive lives. And I think it's also very interesting from the, of course, apart from the patient point of view, for the physician point of view, I think we are going to have here a very nice history of uh, uh, inhibiting a target and learning a lot about how to, to better diagnose resistance, which type of resistance mechanisms, how we better self by inhibiting, which inhibitor should we use depending on the type of mutation at the time of resistance and so on. So very likely patients are going to benefit not only from the specific inhibitors we are using first line, but maybe by the uh, uh, different lines of treatment that we are adding on. And I think this is going to be really wonderful. So the first thing we, we, we need to do is actually to identify those patients having the extra protein mutation in the first time so that we can guide them through the right pathway from the beginning. And with all of that, I think I'm really going to thank you, Ross and Karen. I'm really going to thank all of the attendees for sending so many interesting questions. And I hope that you have enjoyed. I just finally, I'd like to thank uh, uh, our colleagues from CCO for uh, uh, helping us to put this program together. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Paz Erez, Dr. Kamage, and Dr. Reckamp, and thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us. As a reminder, to view the full program, MET Inhibition in Advanced Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, Molecular Testing for MET Exxon 14, and Emerging Options, and to download the slide sets associated with this discussion from the Clinical Care Options website, please click on the link in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. 